0: Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at CandeoChurch.com. And Candeo Church, uh, my heart is just so full this morning, Uh, full of just love for you, delight in you. I I love being able just to hear your voices in worship, and uh, it's a real delight to be one of you. And I hope that you love every week as we gather, just the delight of being together. And I just want to start today by saying I love you. I'm so grateful you're all here this morning. I'm excited to dive into Daniel 6. So if you've got a Bible, uh, join me in Daniel chapter 6. Uh, To this point in Daniel, there has been uh, what I would consider to be like kind of a comforting monotony to each chapter of Daniel six, kind of this predictable pattern within almost every chapter where essentially we see in each chapter, the same storyline play out where you see first a broken world does what a broken world does. It ends up putting God's people in a place where they have to pick a side. And the question emerges, will they, choose God's side or will they choose to side with the world? And what we see is we see them choose God's side and we watch how God delivers and rewards them every time. That's kind of the same story every chapter we've seen so far. And today again in Daniel 6, we will see that once again in what is probably the most famous moment of Daniel's life, the lion's den. Now I just want to like set your expectations here Um, The Disney version, sanitized version that you have likely heard of Daniel 6 is kind of far different than reality. Uh, What you get in this story is you see um, evil jealousy, uh, deception, serious injustice, and you will see not a young man, not a young Daniel. You'll see Daniel, who is now pushing the age of 80, being forced into a spot where he has to choose between loyalty and obedience to the government of his day or death in the most gruesome way imaginable. And what's unique about Daniel 6 is not that Daniel doesn't compromise. I mean, we've seen that before. But we get a little glimpse in Daniel 6. This is what makes Daniel 6 unique. We see just a little glimpse of the impact of the life that he had. And we're gonna look at it and marvel for just a bit and just see the fruit of a life well lived. It's gonna be easy today to sit here and going to kind gonna fall back and be inspired by what we see in Daniel's life. But I, I wanna press you just a little bit because my goal today is not inspiration, it's imitation. And what I mean by that is it's easy for us to look at somebody else's life and what God does in their life and to be inspired and go, wow, that's incredible. It's a whole different thing to look at that person's life and decide to imitate them. So my goal today is not inspiration, which would lead to kind of passive, like applause on our end for Daniel, but to imitation, which would mean action on our part. And so if you want to remember where we are, uh, remember last week, we saw at the end of chapter five, there's been a changing of the guard. There's been a regime change. The Babylonians have now been swept out by the Medes and the Persians. And Daniel is now in a whole new world with a whole new king. And Daniel six will sound a lot like the start of Daniel one. So he begins to distinguish himself in this new world. This is what Daniel six says as we start in verse one. Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom and stationed them throughout the realm. And over them, three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. This created some jealousy because the administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could not find no charge or corruption for he was trustworthy and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, we will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. So I pause here and just say, I love that so much. I love that Daniel is so pure. They can't find any dirt on him, especially against the backdrop of the political ad season that we're walking through. Like. You guys are trying to watch TV these days, right? You know what I'm talking about. We're in the most wonderful time of year where if you have done anything remotely shady, I mean there's anything like that in your past, somebody's going to find it and try to take advantage of it. And with Daniel, he's so pure that as they try to like bring something out, like something out of his claws, like the worst thing they can come up with about Daniel is like um um man, he really loves God. I just want to sit on that for just a moment because that's Daniel's reputation. What's yours? Like what is your reputation at your workplace or in your neighborhood or in your classroom? Like, Is your reputation, is it a help or is it a hurdle to the work of God in this world. As I'll tell you this, and this has sadly happened more times than I could probably count, where I've had conversations with people in our own community here. So I've just been building relationships, just like friendships or sharing Jesus with somebody, or like wanting to invite somebody into our church or something like that, where it comes up just my connection to Candeo, and somebody will say to me, oh, does so-and-so go to your church and I'll excitedly? Because I love you all. Like I excitedly like, yes, they do. Do you know them? And they're like, oh yeah, they're like we used to work together. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We used to live on the same street. And I can tell that that's not a positive connection. What is your reputation among those outside of the family of God? Because when we can do this, Christian, when we can match bold gospel proclamation, like what comes out of our mouth with bold gospel demonstration, the actions of our lives, our reputation, when our words and our reputation come together and both bring glory and honor to Jesus, when we bring those two things together, it is incredibly powerful. Or frustrating as we see here. But that's what we want to be. We want to be people that match bold gospel proclamation with bold gospel demonstration. And Daniel is so pure that the only way that they can get him in trouble is to make him have to pick between obedience to his government or obedience to God. If Essentially, they can't get him in trouble for doing anything wrong. So they got to get him in trouble for doing something right. And uh, I I appreciated these words from John Bachman. John, I see you're in here this morning. I I appreciated your just input into the the message today because John said this, and I think it is helpful for us to acknowledge what's happening in our American world today. But John added this into my notes. He said, we must understand that our culture is flipping or has flipped from Christianity being the moral standard to now Christianity actually being viewed by many as immoral, as evil, In other words, if we are to stay on the path that we're on, faithfulness to God will increasingly look like evil in the eyes of the world around us. And church, my prayer has been all week for you that whatever does come our way in the years and decades ahead of us, that we would have the reputation that Daniel had. The worst thing somebody could throw at us is that we just really love God but I wanna continue reading here. So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said, and this is just the human heart in its ugliest form. It reminds me of another dark moment in human history. They said, may King Darius live forever and all the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for, now note this, maybe even underline this because I wanna come back to this, for 30 days, for 30 days, put this rule in place that anyone who petitions any God or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that as the law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the written edict. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house, the windows in its upstairs room opened to Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. I'm curious, like if your life depended on it, right? Right? What are the things that you could live without for 30 days? Like if life depended on it, what are the things that you'd be like, I can live without that for 30 days? Now, the things that you'd be like, all right, I need I, mean, I need air, I'm gonna need that, uh, water, I need that. I'm gonna need maybe food, you know, I could make it a while, but I don't know if I can make it 30 days without food, you know. But what are the things that you could live without for 30 days? Take note of this, Daniel couldn't make it even one day without prayer. And it's easy at this point to begin to marvel at Daniel for his courage, for for like what he was able to do here. Guys, understand this, it wasn't Daniel's courage or this like passionate rebellion within him that put him on his knees in prayer at this point. It was his weakness and absolute desperation for God. The world that Daniel was living in was so broken, like his life was constantly hanging in the balance. He had gotten so accustomed to just relying on God moment to moment, just the regular provisions for just courage and strength to stand up in such an evil world. It's so important, this regular provision from God that he was so desperate before. It becomes so important to him that prayer was as essential to him as water or air. It wasn't his strength that put him on his knees or some courage. It was desperation. See, he understood one foundational reality that we need to understand. That if faithfulness to God is your life goal, prayer must be your life habit. I'll say that again. If if faithfulness to God is your life goal, prayer must be your life habit. If I could just give one quick encouragement here, particularly to those who are older in the faith. Again, I mentioned before Daniel's pushing about eighty at this point. What kept Daniel vibrant in his relationship with God was not retirement, timeshares on the beach, or like endless hours of news. Okay, that isn't what kept him vibrant. It was prayer. And I just want to give encouragement to you. Don't let Father Time dim your faith. But be like Daniel and establish rhythms of regular, constant prayer for God to keep your heart soft and your faith vibrant. If faithfulness to God is your life goal, prayer must be your life habit. So Daniel's praying. That's against the rules. Verse 11 now. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. So they approached the king and asked about his edict. Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days, any person who petitions any God or man except you, the king will be thrown in the lion's den? The king answered, as the law of Medes and Persians stands, uh, it is irrevocable. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles has ignored you, the king and the edict that you signed for he prays three times a day. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased because he figured it out that he'd been tricked by them. And he set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. Then these men went together to the king and said to him, you know, your majesty, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den and the king said to daniel may your god whom you continually serve take note again of daniel's reputation may the god whom you continually serve rescue you a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing in regard to daniel could be changed And then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lion's? Then Daniel spoke with the king, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they haven't harmed me. For I was found innocent before him, and also before you, your majesty, I have not done harm. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed, for he trusted in his God. The king then gave the command and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den, they, their children, and their wives. They had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. And then King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, may your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble in fear of the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever and his kingdom will never be destroyed and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. And that's it. That's Daniel's life. Now you may go, okay, well, I know there's like chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. There's there's more coming. Uh, Understand this. The book of Daniel breaks up into two parts. Chapters 1 through 6 are kind of a narrative of Daniel's life from his teenage years to the end of his life, which was roughly about 65 years. And everything from this point on, chapter seven through 12, are kind of a prophetic journal of sorts that he kept during the course of his life of visions that God had given him. So we'll start that next week. But for Daniel, this is it. He was taken off into exile as a teenager and he never went home. He lived his entire life in exile. And I want to just pause and just celebrate for a moment a life well-lived. If we could just reflect a bit on it. See, one of the things that we talk about often as a church, and we use this, this word sent, right? We use sent language a lot, S-E-N-T, sent, right? That we are a sent people. Daniel embodies what it means to be sent so beautifully, And here's what we mean when we we use the word sent, that we are a sent people. Because there's essentially three ways that you can engage the world around you, okay? Essentially three ways. The first thing you can do is you can reject the world, right? You're not engaging it at all. Uh, When you reject the world, when that's how you kind of go after engaging the world, what you do is you kind of huddle up as Christians and the goal is safety. In the end, there's no engagement with non-Christians and thus no effect. Or another way to put it, light isn't shining in the darkness because the light isn't going out into the darkness. So one way to engage the world is to not just completely reject it. Daniel didn't do that. Another way that you can engage the world, and I'll put these on the screen behind you, I mean, uh, is you can receive the world. And what happens here is that Christians essentially, as they're engaging the world, they're just embracing the whole thing with absolutely no filter whatsoever. In the end, there's no noticeable difference between Christians and non-Christians and thus there is no effect. Or another way to put it, light isn't shining in the darkness because there is no light. So you can reject the world Light isn't shining in the darkness because it's not going out into the darkness. You can receive everything from the world, which light is not going into the darkness because there is no light. Or you can do what Daniel did, which is his approach was to redeem the world. This is when Christians purposefully and powerfully engage the broken world around them. This is what we mean when we talk about being in the world, but not of the world, right? to be a light shining in the darkness. Sent people are people who have the light of Christ in them and empowered by the spirit are going out purposefully into the dark places that God has called them to, to be the light of Christ. This is what Jesus meant when he said, as the father sent me, so I send you. we to be a sent people And Daniel embodies this beautifully. In a time when it would have been incredibly easy for Daniel to throw up his hands in frustration and despair and say, what can a person do in the midst of such evil? I mean, and many of you maybe are thinking the same thing about our world right now. What can I do in the midst of such evil? It would have been so natural for Daniel to be full of despair or frustration Instead, what does Daniel do? He matches faithful proclamation, truth about who God is with a life, faithful demonstration with a reputation, bringing those two things together and then fuels it with prayer, desperate prayer. And God uses him not just to bring about the salvation of one king, but two. That over the course of his life, he would see two major empires and the kings of those worlds and trust themselves to the living God who endures forever. And that's just the impact that we know about. I remember my goal though, isn't just inspiration. It's, uh, it's imitation. I don't want you just to sit here and go, wow, look at Daniel. I want it to move you. And I want to just zoom out even a little bit further as you look at Daniel's life. See, I said at the beginning of this message that there's this comforting monotony within the book of Daniel. That we see a broken world does what a broken world does. We see God's people get put in a tough spot. We watch them choose faithfulness to God, and we watch how God delivers them time and time again. As we read Daniel, we get to Daniel 6, and there's almost this bored confidence, right? Like, we've seen this before. Of course, God is going to rescue him for the lion's den. Like, I know that. We don't have to read the rest of the story. Of course, I know that. Right, because we've seen already from the very beginning of this book how God sovereignly protected and blessed Daniel's friends as he brought them into captivity. That miraculously, regardless of what they ate or whatever training classes they were put into, they flourished. That even when no one else could interpret the king's dream, and he wouldn't even tell him what it was, that God gave Daniel supernatural wisdom to be able to tell the king what his dream was and what it meant. We've already seen God go with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire and protect them from that. We've already seen this same God who did all those things, uh, take a proud king and make him eat grass like a beast. And then we watched him with another king move just his little finger and made that king take the Browns to the Super Bowl in his pants. I didn't know how else to describe that, you know? I didn't like the word soiled. That's what our Bible said. I'm like, I'll, I'll go back to like first grade humor here. But he did that with just the movement of his finger. Like we've already seen God do all of these things. Of course, of course he can rescue Daniel from the lion's den. If that's where you're at, you are reading the book of Daniel rightly. The point of this book is to get us to a place where we have a fortified confidence in the living God that this is just what he does. That regardless of what comes our way, a broken world does what a broken world does and they will continue to do what a broken world does. If we choose faithfulness to God, he will deliver and reward us every time, whether in this life or the next. So here's the question though that keeps challenging me, and I haven't been able to shake it for 10 days, and I want to pass on to you. So what then if, if we stop reading the book of Daniel? Because this is, I think, what happens all the time, like, especially like Daniel and the Lion's Den, like we read this story, and we go like, that happened so long ago, that's so unique. I mean, we, we see these stories as distant and unique times of hardship of faithfulness on human part and on faithfulness on God part. We, we see that, we kind of like put it back up on the shelf. We're like, that's great that that happened for them a long time ago. And the question that's been bugging me is, what if we stopped seeing these stories as distant and unique and began reading these stories like they were meant to be like a modern day roadmap for our lives on how we should navigate our world? What if we changed the way that we read these stories? Here's Here's... Here's just what I mean. Give me 10 minutes to navigate this, okay? I was reading a book recently, and in that book, it, it was a story of an American missionary who had actually uh, started traveling the world to interact with pastors, church people, whatever, from like a bunch of different nations. Uh, and essentially, he was, he was just meeting with people that had experienced persecution, whether it was in Russia or like Eastern European countries, the Middle East, uh, Central and Southeast Asia and all of that. He's just meeting with believers to just talk to them about their experiences and persecution. A lot of these stories are from like the 1990s into 2000s. And at one point he records that he was sitting there with this group of people as they were just sharing stories time and time again. I mean, Daniel likes stuff. And he, he, he looked at him and he goes, why haven't you guys taken these stories and written them down? Like, the, like you got into, like, people, people would love to hear these and, and read these. Like, why haven't you written these down? And they were super confused. And eventually, one of the believers looked back at him, and he just said, Nick, when did you stop reading your Bible? The, the Bible is full of stories like this. See, what happens when we like feast on like Instagram bite-size portions of the Bible, you know, when like that's the depth that we get into of like whatever can fit on a coffee mug and make me feel good about my life in the morning, when that's like all we ever do when we engage the scriptures, we totally miss out that a common theme throughout like every page is that if you choose faithfulness to God, you are also choosing hardship in life. Those two things go together. You can't separate the two. And a lie that many of us as Christians can believe is that if I've got my quiet times right, if I've got like my like, like, like spiritual disciplines down, life is gonna go great for me. Is that what Daniel experienced? Well, I mean, he had a great prayer life and his world is falling apart all around him. But if you open up your scriptures, what you'll see is you'll see that's true. Like Daniel, Joseph, John the Baptist, Paul, Peter, Stephen. In fact, I have a hard time finding any examples in Scripture where somebody chose faithfulness to God and it made their life easier. It's true. You surrender to Jesus. Things between you and God are going to be good. But you will find yourself at odds with the world around you. See, these Daniel-like hardships, Daniel-like faith, these Daniel-like miracles of God, these aren't just things in the past. Like those hardships, that faithfulness and God's faithfulness to his people is alive and well today. One of the countries I've just been reading a ton about these days, is just the stories coming out of Iran. I don't know if you've spent any time just reading about the stories of God's work in Iran. Guys, understand this, The work of God in Iran is the fastest growing Christian movement in the world. 50 years ago, they estimate that there was maybe about 500 Christians total in the country of Iran. Today, there's up over a million. Maybe last night you saw a fire broke out and some prisoners were killed at Evin prison in Iran. I don't know if you saw that, I just spent part of this past week praying for some believers, some Iranian believers by name, because in this past nine months alone, just the calendar year of 2022, 25 Iranian Christians have been arrested and placed into prisons. Many of them actually at Evan prison. Been praying for four people by name this past week who are enduring incredible hardships, who are still being faithful to Jesus, Sarah, Mina, of uh, Vansifu and uh, I forget the last guy's name, Joseph. That's the easy one. You can read their stories. If you wanna see their pictures or stories, just go to open doors, USA. It's a great website to just keep you up on front lines work in the world. But what's going on in the world and, and what's going on in Daniel's life is very foreign to us. Like that, that type of experience, like that Christianity has met with that level of hardship is, is so foreign to us. But what's resulted is we've bought into these lies and we've begun to see like suffering is something to be avoided. We've begun to see the hardships in our lives as something contrary to the grace of God in our lives. And I would just ask is that true? If we as Christians were to experience what Daniel experienced, does that mean that God doesn't love us, that he doesn't care for us? Does that mean that we're choosing the wrong paths in life? Now, actually this is what 1 Peter 4 says, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes upon you to test you as if something unusual was happening to you. Don't be surprised, this isn't unusual. This is the norm. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I say all of this to simply just say this. Again, bringing you back to the modern roadmap concept. Some say our world's changing. The world, not so much, let's just zoom in. Some say that our country is changing, right That the winds that as Christians, maybe at one time were' at our backs, kind of encouraging us along, are now at our face a bit. That at one time it maybe was advantageous for us to claim Christ. Now that's changed in our culture the ground is beginning to shift beneath us. Church, I don't say this in a fake tough way. I'm just gonna be brutally honest with like where God has taken me in the midst of this chapter. If that is the way that our world is headed, like where you and I live is headed, I say, bring it. Because if what ease and comfort has brought into my life has been prayerlessness, levels of apathy and laziness, wouldn't God be loving to bring in a little challenge for me, for us? If that's what freedom has accomplished in me and peace has accomplished in me, that if this is what God has for us now, I trust his sovereign hand in it. And between now and then, I wanna be pressing myself into prayer, into radical generosity into radical habits of engaging my neighbors and those around me to, to continue to pursue him and be faithful in whatever he's called us to. Because I, I know, and this, this goes back to the, that, that missionary I was talking about, that as he was going around just interacting with persecuted believers over the world, he, he took note of one thing that he said was very interesting. He said, I've never once had any believer in those situations ever pray for persecution to stop, for their hardships to stop. He goes, in fact, just biblically, the only way for persecution to ever stop for Christians is for people to stop following Jesus. And we don't want that. So this side of eternity, if there's going to be people pursuing Jesus, there's going to be hardships and resistance to that. And he goes, what we found is that none of those believers ever asked for us to pray for their persecutions to stop. They simply prayed and asked us to pray for their faithfulness in the midst of it. And that's my prayer for us, church. Christian, if you feel like the ground beneath you is beginning to shift, do not be discouraged or surprised as if something unusual is happening to you. But choose faithfulness. Ground your life in prayer and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. That's the modern roadmap that Daniel six gives to us. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.